Welcome to Bab Pod Die, a Babylon Project miniseries about the comic book Die, where we tumble through feelings about RPGs and some terrible British nerds. I'll be your game master, Justin, and joining me are my two players, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, it's a second recording, so I'm not going to ask how you're doing because we've, I've already asked you tonight. <laughs> and you already got really depressing answers. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you play games, what is your dump stat? Strength. It depends. It, I, I do not have a go-to dump stat. If you're asking me what my dump stat is, that's a different question. But <laughs> no, I'm asking what you it, like. If, if given a choice, like you know, in a game, what what is your what is your go to? Like, if you have one, what uh, is your dump stat? Historically, it was always con because <laughs> I played a lot of wizards and sorcerers, and I figured I didn't have any hit points anyway. So, what you know, really, what's the difference between ten and twelve hit points? <laughs> Not much. Uh, but these days, it's 100% intelligence. I have embraced the himbo, and my last five characters have all been just strong, beautiful morons. And I blame you for that, Justin. <laughs> Wish I had a picture of that. Um, thank God there's a recording. I'll, we'll have to pull that. But yeah, that's that's clearly what I've been doing. I think it's partially because I've embraced the idea that I'm not a... My 20-year-old self thought I was. And uh, <laughs> it's more fun to just be a beautiful, gentle-hearted idiot. Isn't that like, I mean, that, that's the writer's curse of like, how do you write someone smarter than you? Yeah. And and that's so many, so many very dubious Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Oh. <laughs> do we, do we ever get a Sherlock Holmes thing in Die? No. Oh. No, I don't think so. Um, oh, because that'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, we're gonna get we're we we got we've got some contemporaries of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, in 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 fact, um, believe at least one person who he like had correspondence with, if I remember correctly, and at least one person who he like inspired. But I don't think yeah, I don't think we have any actual Holmesian things, just because. Okay, mini rant. <laughs> Mysteries are really hard to do in role-playing games, y'all. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. The sheer volume of advice I've read on how to do a mystery in an RPG would suggest that you are correct. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the hardest one because in a setting that is built or on a on a medium of storytelling that is built on random number generation. <laughs> How do you deal with the fact that somebody could miss a clue? And you're like, guys, guys, you might want to do you want to do you want to check that floor more carefully, guys? Yeah, and and there's no way you can say that without sounding like an asshole. Right, right. I mean, I've read a lot of advice on how to get around that, but fundamentally the problem exists that a true mystery like a Sherlock Holmesian is hard to do in a tabletop game because your players are not as smart as Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. and it's hard to design a story or it's hard to design a puzzle that will make them feel like that mm -hmm. while also respecting the chance that you mentioned the the dice chance that is come to be expected as a part of the experience of of a tabletop game. 
I mean, heck, there's an entire like set of game systems or an overarching game system entirely devoted to all of this with Gumshoe. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say. And, and yeah, there, there's a lot of, and like, there, as, as somebody who is slightly obsessed with mystery art, uh, mysteries, um, I mean, it, it's like, and I see a lot, uh, there's a lot of good alternatives there in the indie spaces um, that are not just rule plus skill um, that I think are do fun things. Um, but anyways, um, we're, we're not here to go. We're not here for me to evangelize about other RPGs. We are here to talk about um, some people who got trapped in a terrible RPG. Um, this is use seven and eight of die uh, wisdom check and legacy are written by Kieran Gillen art by Stephanie Hans and letters to how uh, our quote for issue seven is from Marguerite Williams, the Velveteen Rabbit. He longed to become real, to know what it felt like. And yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. He wished that he could become it without these uncomfortable things happening to him. Oh, buddy. That's, That's a mood. So we don't get some ash. We don't get some ash narration on this one. Instead, we get Isabel writing in a diary. Uh, they have been moved to the exact other side of die uh, by the Skywatcher because he was very literal with getting them as far away as possible. The survivors are without shelter, food, or water, um, and they are surviving primarily on the deals Isabel can make with various gods. Chuck, in a moment of being a dick, steals the diary and mimes giving it back before dropping it in a puddle of piss. Isabel... Understandably angry, ask Mistress Woe to punish him. Mistress Woe she'll, says she'll even do it for free. Bro. Which never, never, never trust a god who says, yeah, no, this one is, this one is gratis. <laughs> In fairness, Chuck is a fucking dick that I would believe that a god would want to punish him for free. I would believe that. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Chuck goes to our dwarf friends, dour and delighted, to drink with them. And he wakes up with a miserable hangover. They find an oasis, which Isabel suspects is a trap. But uh, when questioned, Mr. Swo answers that to it, which is technically true. Um, Isabel, Chuck, and the Chamberlain of Glasstown talk, with Isabel revealing that they have an ally who has come uh, guard says that there is a convoy incoming, and Isabel says that it's too early for her, uh, like her ally. Chuck, Chuck asks who their benefactor is as they go to greet the visitors, and Isabel reveals that it is the former lover of uh, the former ruler of Angria, Zamorna, who is also um, also her ex, also Ash, also her and Ash's ex. <laughs> the visitor, as it turns out, are elves who are led by a not zombified, so I guess other uh, another elf queen. Um, they had been driven out of their homelands by Saul, as had the two dwarves. As Chuck and the dwarves drink later that night, they see some red lights in the distance. It is a titan with the oasis made by its fists breaking the earth. As it turns out, the Titan is Mr. Swell's doing. Oh no! <laughs> Chuck, in the most ridiculous of odds, solos the Titan. <laughs> my man, my man, just Leroy <laughs> Um, Chuck boasts that he has learned absolutely nothing, and honestly, as much as I hate Chuck, this is really funny. 
<laughs> because this is I've had this exact moment where I do something incredibly stupid in an RPG, it comes out right, and I scream, I have learned nothing and I will never learn. Yep. Um, he also ends up sleeping with a very grateful elf queen. Um, it's a pillow talk. Chuck reveals the story of how he broke it off with his first wife and became a shithead. Um, he, he even ordered his steak sloppy style. Okay, we really don't have that here? Okay. Including all of the embellishments he made in the story for dramatic sake. The elf queen pisses off because she's like, you dug your ass. Um, and as Chuck goes to piss, uh, Mistress Woe states that he has learned a lesson about what is real as he pees blood. Ruh-roh. Lord Zamorna arrives, reveals the others are gathering allies to go against them. They will have to work together. As they talk, we end on the final panel revealing the reason that Lord Zamorna has not aged a single day since they left. Motherfucker's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, when I was rereading this to the summary... I realized that the ending, the ending panel here. What a panel! Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's very hot. Um, <laughs> it's showing Zamorna licking his teeth, and there are the figs there. And he says, "Yes, let's end this masquerade. After all, we're all monsters here." Here, another fucking gillage. Is that a vampire? The masquerade joke, you bitch. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bad, but I love it. Uh, what do we think it is implied by Chuck pissing blood? He's sick. Mm-hmm. So did Mistress Woe give him something? Did the Elf Queen give him something? <laughs> oh, God. I don't think it goes that fast, but who knows? This is a fantasy land. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this, like, I'm not, I'm not going to put, like, magical instant STIs out of the realm of possibility here. <laughs> yeah. This is why you should never fuck an elf, at least without getting tested first. Because it's clearly like she's saying she taught him a lesson and then he pisses blood. So it's implied that she taught him a lesson. So if he like entered die with failing kidneys because he's got something going on, that wouldn't really be him learning a lesson. But I don't know. Maybe she's got a more open interpretation of the situation. Yeah. It might be a lesson about what's real and what's not real, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If if previously, if if he had if he did have something like that going on in the real world, and previously in Die he was free of it, and now isn't, that would yeah. perhaps be a lesson about what's real and what's not. Well, as long as he suffers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because frankly, everything Chuck does just makes me want him to. He's just like, the worst. Yeah. Yeah, no. Worst thing you could possibly do in this in my like he does one of the things that like in an RPG when this happens, I just like roll my eyes and just like talking about his wives. Ugh. I'm gonna me and my first me and my first wife with our homely charisma ten, second wife with thirteen, third with fifteen, hell even sixteen. Up. Vital statistics, right? Ugh. God, it's just, it's just, he's just doing like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but like on, you know, a different scale. Yeah, no, it's like the, it's, it's like when, like, how every, like, at a certain, like, entrance level of D&D assumes charisma's appearance. Yeah. 
and just never evolving beyond that. Yeah. Um, what a what a shithead though. Yeah, but, no. But man, he has great hair. Like you know the the little like coming down from the bottom. Like you know that's that's a good look. Yeah, honestly. I will I will give Stephanie Hans like all the credit for this. It is very hard to make like two people like people talking in bed visually interesting. And then, like, a dude going out and just, like, sitting, talking to an invisible god. Interesting. But it is, like, visually, like, yeah, I mean, like, it is, it looks good. Yeah. And, like, there, we've got interesting things with, like, the lighting going on. The elf queen who gets the purple colors intruding in, like, the, the reds. Um, and that even comes in and, like, Chuck's flashbacks, which... I, I, you know, that I, I really like. And she does a lot of playing around with, uh, like, Chuck smoking a cigar or a blunt or something. Probably a blunt. Um, I know, it's like, I know it's mentioned in, like, one of the earlier issues, but it's apparently some sort of magical, it, 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 it's the, it's the Hobbit pipe weed. Yeah. Of the setting. But the, but she does a lot of playing around with the smoke and, like, the dynamic the dynamic action of the smoke helps mm-hmm. lend like motion to each of the panels and like also, also like threads through, through a bunch of the panels really nicely. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I've noticed is, in this comic is that Chuck always seems more compelling until it's close enough to see his face. And they seem to draw his face very, he always seems to have an ugly expression on his face. Yeah. And I don't know if how intentional that is or how much of that is just me not liking him and pro- but it seems like even when they try and make him do cool stuff as soon as they get into his face and show his face like he's often got they like intentionally a predatory portray grin. him as having like an ugly expression. Yeah, for sure. That like from a distance he's always like very good looking. Um, and then you zoom in and like, he's always got like a smile that doesn't reach his eyes or like his teeth just a little bit too much. Yeah. You know what I think? I think he'd be prettier if he smiled. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I I think he'd be prettier if he smiled less, but did it more genuinely. Yeah. Um, I like, honestly, I think one of the, like the, this is, I mean, this is maybe me projecting projecting but like i think one of the like the the like the most interesting faces he has is where it's like the one close-up we get where he's not doing it but where he says it was our anniversary um and like he's acting yeah but he is at least like he doesn't have like he's got an, an almost empty expression yeah but it's still like it looks good um this is also the first issue I noticed where his his earrings are dice. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, the that panel's great because it's got he's got the like blank expression as he says it was our anniversary, and then like two frames down, he's got that like wolfish grin around his whatever the hell he's smoking. Well, and then it turns out it's not their anniversary. He was yeah. making that up for dramatic effect. Yeah, which was saying like he's acting. He's, yeah. he's just like he's got this 
empty expression to like try to be like to 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 lie yeah but he's uh, not lying when he says so i became a total shithead for a while yeah chuck sucks yeah yeah can't wait for him to get his <laughs> i hope he pisses out an organ i i the one thing I do like for Chuck is how like how like on brand he always is. Like he's like, oh yeah, they started talking politics and I just left because I didn't want to learn anything. <laughs> he is just like, I mean, his dedication to being like the worst is honestly impressive. Yeah, there are kinds of worst that are fun, and there are kinds of worst that are like the world would be better without you. And he strays a little too hard into the ladder for me. He's like the Mr. Morden of this series. No, no, absolutely. I, I could not disagree with you more. Yeah. At least so far. I don't think of him as a Morden. I think of him as like. At least on the, like the visceral reaction I have to. Drew, or, uh, Jude, is, is he a Garibaldi? Yes. <laughs> if Garibaldi were a villain, that's who he would be. Bold of you to say that Garibaldi if, if isn't Garibaldi, a villain. Yeah, yeah. If Garibaldi were narratively a villain. Yeah. Um. He is. No, that's a great example. He is. He's not supposed to be a villain, but he, he reads like one very often. But he does not and think of And much of, of himself it is because of his shitty white privilege, white male privilege attitude. Yeah. No, that's a great example. He's a Garibaldi. Um. There, there, there's a line that Chuck has where, like, when he, like, when he's tossing away, uh, is Isabel's diary, he says, "No one has ever read a song in a book ever." To which I have to say, "Chuck, you motherfucker! How about what Bilbo Baggins hates?" Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read Redwall for my entire childhood not to read songs in books. I did. I can't remember if we've talked about this. Did you know that? The Redwall books were because uh, Brian Jakes or Jocks, I can't remember which one. Jakes. He, is, Jakes. he, he was a notorious like Francophobe. Okay. And so he, he pronounced his name Jakes. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Brian Jakes uh, worked as a milkman for a school for blind children. Mm-hmm. And that's why the descriptions of a lot of the stuff, especially the food, is so incredibly detailed and evocative because they couldn't see it. So yeah. he wrote these very, very rich descriptions in order to make beasts feel very evocative for these children, which I, I feel like I'd heard before, but was really, really like, I don't know that hit home. Yeah. And I think yeah. it makes a lot of sense for that series. That's fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And like, that definitely plays into one of the things I do remember from that series that like one of the things that made it so engaging was that Jake's did very much engage all of the senses as much as possible at all times. Um, That a lot of scenes that in the hands of other writers wouldn't necessarily have like smell or touch or taste components. Yeah. Will. Uh, I realized as we were talking about, right, just as we started talking about Redwall, I realized the final bow I'm going to put on my Chuck criticism. <laughs> I guarantee you that Chuck listened to Joe Rogan before they were dragged back in to die. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was, he's a, he was a movie producer. So, you know, 
It, it is not unthinkable that he knew Joe Rogan. Yep. I can th- I, I can think of no more damning critique than that. Also, I, I like that we learn a little bit more about Mistress Woe, who uh, is basically the god of bad luck, the goddess of the Nat One. <laughs> Which is that so she good. really would be my patron my patron god in that yeah. world. I love a Nat one. I am on board as a player, not even as a GM, as a player. I don't think you and I have not gamed extensively on a but Justin and I have, and Justin knows my rampant enthusiasm, arguably over enthusiasm for a Nat one in absolutely any circumstance. <laughs> You look you you are somebody who who enjoys interesting failure. I really I just love it when when things go awry because that's more fun. A success is just a success. But when things go wrong, that's when you can that's when yeah. interesting choices happen. And on that one in a critical moment is there's nothing is more fun than Either a nat one in a critical moment or in a, an absolutely meaningless moment. I love <laughs> I a nat like one this is on a trivial so task. So much of our structure just by talk by talking about our <laughs> gaming habits of like this is why we are the way we are. Uh, I, yeah. I always love the nat twenty in the completely useless situation too. Oh yeah, like yeah, you just do something flawlessly. Like you, know, I'm gonna search the room. You gotta. You get a net twenty. You found a really pretty rock. Good job. Oh, yeah. The 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 one I have is like uh, the current edition of Vampire the Masquerade has like a has has basically like a crit success thing that can happen, and you know it's it's like it, it's a very rare thing to happen because it involves rolling multiple tens, um, on d tens, and it's like so when it happens on like an awareness roll. I'm like, you know, you don't have to do anything special. Just be, you know, it's it's fine. I'm I'm a sad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the other like sort of like interesting thing we have is we get like a little a, just a little bit of backstory on our dwarves. Um Dower and Delighted who um and the fact that Tuck is shocked that they have backstory, which yeah, says so no, much about him. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I, uh, like I mean, I guess it is. I mean, Ash and Izzy are right. Angry always did have better characters. I thought, I just thought you two were really shallow. And then Dower fires back across the bow with the greatest respect. I'm not sure that you get to judge us on that count, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. Yeah. God, yeah. Um, and <laughs> Chuck says, "You're a one trick pony. So what? So is Pegasus." <laughs> <laughs> Which is honestly funny. That's uh, yeah. Chuck does get some good one-liners. Yeah, like that's what he's good for. And also, apparently, soloing a titan. Yeah, which I, I mean, it is it is his thing. The more ridiculous the odds, the better he is at it. Justin, Justin, he he is the paladin of the one, you know, the one in the million shot, right? <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. yeah. The million, he's the champion of the million to one odds happens more often than you'd think, you know. (laughs) God, yeah. Um, So what disease makes you pee blood, but is extremely trivial and has like very average odds? Um, kidney stones, I think. Yeah. 
All right, so he's gonna die of kidney stones. I mean, God, that that oh, would be ja- wow. No, that that would just be like the that would be worst. the worst way to die. Honestly, I, yeah, I know several. I have several friends who are prone to kidney stones, and like that that would be a horrible way to die. My God. Okay. Well, I've got I've got something to hope for then. <laughs> Stay hydrated, man. Stay hydrated. Uh. I love also that both Isabel and Ash apparently hooked up with a vampire. So I will say there is this very specific thing that, that they say when Zamorna arrives, which is Chuck says, oh, at last, your lover. And Isabel says, not lover. You know that we never. Oh, well, your love then is or is that too melodramatic? No, it is. It isn't, is it? Uh, my <laughs> love was entirely right, which Ooh, I yeah. So this was this like an unrequited thing where she was into. Oh, I think I, I feel like it's more just a vampire shit thing where like, oh, yes, my love, we will we will sit together under the under the moonlight and you will expose your beautiful neck to me, my love. Oh, oh, OK. So they didn't bang. He just nibbled or or just it's just like a. Yeah. Like it's how for to people in like certain forms yeah. of vampire vampire media, right? Yeah. Like in th- in the particularly melodramatic romance forms of vampire media. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Or as you know, keep you know, keep for Sutherland hiding out under the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. We got any last things for this one? Nope. Nope, I'm good with moving to the next one. Alright, time for some sad boy shit. <laughs> we got issue 8, Legacy Heroes. And our quote for this one is from Emily Bronte. I've watched thee every hour. I know my mighty sway. I know my magic power to drive thy griefs away. And this is, this is interesting. We've had two issues now start with Bronte sisters' quotes. Interesting. This is a surprise thing that will come in handy later. <laughs> Jude Googling Charlotte Bronte RPGs. I know that they didn't they play a, like a rudimentary RPG. Isn't that a thing that we knew, we know about them? But we'll talk about that uh, next issue. Okay. Uh, or next next week. Um, so back in Angria, we have a month time skip. The rule. Angry is taking its time making decisions, and Angela reveals she's going back to Glasstown to find out what Prussia ruins. Matt offers to go help, but Angela turns him down as it's Nia's work. As she leaves, Matt says he'll try to make himself useful. His sword uh, tries talking to him so it can listen and make him stronger, even if he's go- even if the sword is going to be a real dick to him about it. <laughs> Ash comes out of a session of the ruling party, capital R, capital P, and then they've been asking Ash to try to interrogate Solmore, who has not been giving any useful information. They've also assigned a deaf man to watch Ash to kill her if she goes rogue. Ingria really doesn't like dictators. Um, they visit Sol in the dungeons, and we learn a little bit more about the timeline. Five years ago, Sol escaped from the Grandmaster and brought the nations of Dai together to fight him. Two years ago, they won, and Sol took over as the Grandmaster and stabbed everyone in the back so he could take unlimited power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Sol never watched the prequels. Oh. <laughs> 
What a bummer <laughs> That's, for that's him. just a very funny thing to me personally. <laughs> um, Ash is at an impasse, unable to learn anything about how he created Di- about how Saul created Die in the situation. We learned a little bit about Ash's son, Augustus, revealing how she had him with Samorna. They made a deal with the mourner who took him from Ash to carry to term and raised him. Ash told Augustus about their world, and Matt asks Ash if she ever considered having kids in the real world. Um, which apparently they tried and didn't really work out. Uh, Matt's kids, meanwhile, are in college now. Um, which they have like this weird, you know, it's interesting. Like Matt seems to have adjusted like fairly decently and, you know, like moved on with his life. Which um, A messenger comes to Matt with a proposition at something called the Eightfold Temple. He rides there and we learn from his sword that this is where uh, Matt and the sword first met. And the grief sword was not the only option. Three knights, knights of joy, have uh, have come here to test Matt. One of the up other weapons of the temple, a mace of anger, offers itself to Matt, but the grief sword tells him to resist, that the anger would consume him. Grief will always be there, it promises. <laughs> uh, the knights fight, and Matt sweeps house. Uh, Matt thanks the sword. A week later, Angela returns and reveals to Matt, Ash, and the ruling party that the Prussians are building a forge. Um, but they don't know what it's for. As the ruling party comes to discuss options, Isabel barges in and reveals that they all destroyed Glastown and should be punished, which, god damn it. <laughs> Everybody's got that one player. Yep. Yeah. This, I have questions about timeline here. Yeah. I thought that they got their classes before they went into die. See, I'm assuming that they essentially where they had a character concept and like started out as like level one base character and then like got essentially were able to choose like subclass upgrades, essentially. I'd have to go back and read issue one. Yeah, I, I think that that's only being revealed now because we we had the same sort of thing where, um, like both the arm and the dog were Angela's choice from mm, her yeah. original bargain with the Fay or with the fair. Yeah. Um. So there's an there's an implication that like a large part of part of her powers were something that she like actively bargained for. I'll put air quotes around this in game. Mm-hmm. And that my guess, like my interpretation was that essentially, you know, Matt going in had the idea of the and then had, you know, a character arc type of thing where he was able to, like, choose his blade. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to. Rem- yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm looking back now. Yeah, they all they He's- all stated their character concepts like and he yeah. stated Grief Knight. But, you know, it's. We don't we don't know anything about the like their first yeah. days and die the first time. Yeah, I mean yeah, it sounds like how it was... they got from the concept they stated that night to how they turned into the people they were when they got there. Yeah, and like you had the you had the suspicion that the the death ch- death touch was not one of Ash's original abilities either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I'm gonna uh, so one of the things that I do like is that in the RPG, in, in the actual RPG, you can choose between like there you can choose the core 
emotion of your night. And they have a, they have a, uh, I am going to pull up the PDF and I'm going to post, but basically you get like a color wheel. And that was part of one of the kind of end of, um, end of issue blurbs too, was the, the discussion on like the world building aspects of the emotion nights. Mm-hmm. And I like, I mean, you know, it's, I, I like how it's shown here of like, oh, hey, it is a temple and you go and like, and like, I, so funny thing, the way I learned about, da, like the, there, there were two things that I learned about, like there are two ways I learned about die. I heard it recommended on a podcast and James D'Amato, uh, game master of the campaign podcast, as well as like host of the one shot network posted, posted the panel of all of the, of all of the weapons with stuff like Lady angry, uh, on, like, <laughs> uh, which that, that was like, that was the first reference for the series. That's funny. <laughs> the sword is an abuser, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like this is, this is absolutely like, I'm like, okay, I just need to like, I needed somebody to like say, okay, yeah, this is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the whole thing of like, Oh well, if you were if you were happy, then you'd be distracted trying to hold on to your happiness. Instead, you're sad, and sadness will be there forever. Yeah, and it's like, but you fight. You would fight hoping you can lose it. Yeah, which is, um, yeah, which That's I mean, like, yeah, it, it's like, and Matt's like, and Matt realizes after the end of the fight where he is just like back down on three dudes. Where he he's, it's cathartic. I feel better afterwards. I always do. I just be, this isn't healthy. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, I think it is sort of like out of the five people in the group, I think it, at least from a physical standpoint, it definitely seems like Matt has the most possible like potential. Yeah. As like a combat threat. Um, I think that yeah. Ash is like, it does seem that way, especially when combined with, with, with Ash, like yeah. Ash can basically just tell him, Hey, guess what? You're super sad. And then explosions mm-hmm. and it, he's a dynamo overall. Yeah. It's one of those things that it's like, I, I, I find the grief might be such a really like just interesting concept. Cause it's like, it, it's, it's like, on paper, a paladin, but instead of making it something much more core, yeah, yeah. devotion. The the line of it's cathartic. I feel better afterwards. I always do. Is um, it's it's also like a kind of weird perversion of how like you know, if you're upset and you cry, that may make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would be cathartic, and you know, give you neurochemical release um so i feel like i feel like it's playing off of that as like a toxic version of that to some degree speaking of toxic relationships can we talk about ash and her son (laughs) yeah um turns out she decided to not carry the term she gave him to the mourner yeah the more like that's one of the gods, right? Yeah. yeah. Also, I have like suspicions, TM, about what happened back then with 
um with that that vampire being both ashes and isabel's ex um in some way or other uh which is that i feel my suspicion is that isabel never fucked the vampire but but like ash just like swooped in there and was like i'll do it if you won't (laughs) whoops i'm pregnant yeah can you solve it for me thanks yeah um it it is uh, that um ash says that isabel made a deal uh with the mourner that would and bring him to term while we marched off to try and get home so it's like apparently like this was at the actual like the end of their time there yeah but apparently they she knew him explain her world to him was that after this time when does she explain her world to him now or was that before i think that's now um because it's like because like we get flashbacks yeah yeah we get like we get flashbacks which are done on this interesting like like almost sketch style yeah yeah um calling them pencil sketches is like you know that that off like (laughs) yeah you know wild Um, wildly misinterpreted yeah yeah um but it's an interesting way of showing like a flashback immediately there uh yeah so you left you because you thought this was real and in the present she reveals it's like because i was afraid it was yeah which is just so i mean like the end of like nearly two years there or however was still trying to fight over whether it was real or not. Also, is anybody else getting like massive Castlevania vibes from this? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, so, no wonder people are afraid of this kid. He's the son of a paragon and a vampire, but but also not a vampire. I didn't pick up on that part. Or the or the or the father. Father is a vampire. The father, yeah. So uh, Augustus is the son of a paragon and a vampire, although it's implied mm-hmm. from this that Zamorna may be a, a, a player too. I kind of got that. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? That Am I crazy picking that up? Complicated. We will discuss this. I think um, we're, okay. we're going to have, I'm, I'm going to laugh and like, there's, he is, he is not a player. I will say that. But it's more he, complicated. Okay. He is something much different and much more interesting than a, than a player. Okay. Interesting. He's the, he's the son of uh, a paragon or whatever they call them. Uh, yeah. a, a player a va- and a vampire raised by a god. Carried in like, carried that's, to term by a god. That's heavy. I, I'm, I'm still like very curious as to like, to what degree will we will continue to get Alucard vibes off of this off of this boy? Yeah, because like the child of a human and a vampire who's not a vampire, but is he not not a vampire? We shall see. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I love the messy family drama. Um, it, it is a, I it, it's gosh, it's wild. It's like you know having like you know I think. No, we're going to save this discussion for a later episode. <laughs> I think that ne- I think next week's recordings we will we will be um we will be talking about this. Uh we'll, we'll talk about what that actually 
that actually means and everything. But I do think that so Isabel, I, I I don't think we've ever said it, but my gosh, Isabel has come in with the Catholic vibes. Yeah, at the end of this issue, you know, she's she's the like she might be structured like a she's the one who's the paladin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, sometimes people want to play stuff because they like, you know, they have shit to work through. And Bell clearly had some yep. has some stuff to work through with religion. Uh, I, I I like the I do really actually like how Isabel, how serious everything she treats this. Um, She's like the only one who doesn't balk. And say, like, well, this might not be real. Yeah. And of course, we have eternal pressure building something i'm sure i'm sure this will come in handy later the news from um prussia of the where they're where they're you they've got this like repeating string of what am i for um Mm -hmm. that is fascinating and that is also fascinating to me with like dovetailing with my observations from last recording of like introducing video game aspects to this world mm-hmm. so i'll be interested to see where that goes also i love i i we're, we're going to talk about her more in the next issue but i love the look of the jailer who just has like the fanciest headgear possible <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about for this one i don't think so for me um just that i'm really looking forward to seeing like more of what's going on with the you know with prussia in in Glasstown. Yeah, I am. We're going to I'm looking uh, the is it, it? I think it is. Yeah, it is. Next issue is the one that I'm like really looking forward to talking about because um, it's going to be crazy. And if I, so we're going to be coming to the end of volume two with our next issues. Uh, those are going to be issues nine and ten. Self-insert and the X card, which are two of the most loaded terms you could possibly name at at issue. Ooh, yeah. And that'll put us at the uh, halfway point as well, right? Yeah, we will be at the halfway point, 10 out of 20. Until next time, uh, keep rolling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own music information can be found in the show notes the rest of the show is licensed under a creative commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license recording who knows um let's see i am recording so uh so aaron has all of that on my recording so that you know to put into you know blackmail or whatever (laughs) patreon content let's add that 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 is promo for the show yeah patreon content right there (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you brother